Wasn't that a great story? Showing kindness and compassion and love and help to someone who is in need. And that is exactly along the lines of what we're talking about here today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Ward. I'm the teaching pastor here at Friends Church. And I just want to let you know how great it is to be with you here this weekend and how great it is that we get the opportunity together to open up God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles handy, I'd ask you right now to grab them and turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25 is where we're going to be today. This week, we are continuing the sermon series Anchored that we have been in, which is all about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And today, we're going to find ourselves in a couple of verses in Proverbs chapter 25. And as you turn there, uh, I want to take some time up front here just to talk about a unique opportunity that we have in front of us right now. I want to talk about a unique opportunity that I think the season that we are in affords us Christians right now. This past week, I was thinking about a story that I'm sure many of you have heard before because we've shared it here before. But the story is the story of two shoe salesmen from rival shoe companies who traveled to a far-off distant country in order to expand their shoe business. And when they get to this far-off distant country, they are in for the surprise of their life. And that is because when they land in this country, they find out that nobody in this country wears any shoes. Nobody has even seen any shoes before. Everybody walks around barefoot. And one of the shoe salesmen, when he sees this, he is just full of despair. And so he writes a letter back to his business partner back home, and his letter is just full of distress. And it says something like this. It says, the situation here is hopeless. Nobody wears any shoes. This is a lost cause. Why did you send me here? He says, the situation is hopeless. Nobody wears any shoes. Why in the world did you send me here? And that's the reaction that one of the shoe salesmen has. The other shoe salesman, however, he has a little bit of a different reaction. He looks at this country. He looks at all these people who are not wearing any shoes. And he writes a letter back to his business partner. And, and this letter is completely different in tone. And he says something like this. He says, the situation here is incredible. He says, nobody wears any shoes. The opportunity here is enormous. The situation is incredible. He says, nobody wears any shoes. The opportunity is enormous. And I was thinking about that familiar story this past week as I was thinking about this unique season in which we find ourselves. You know, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. We just continue to live in some interesting times. And one of the things that makes the times that we're living in so interesting is just the fact that right now our nation is as polarized as it has ever been, at least in my lifetime. And things right now are as tense as they have ever been in probably the past 38, 39 years. And one of the things that has made this season especially difficult is we Christians, we have not been immune from some of the hostility that we see around us. In fact, in some ways, we've sort of been the recipient of some of the attacks that are going on right now. And this makes sense, right? Because as the values of the world get further and further away from the values of us Christians, from the values that are taught in God's word, there are going to be some people who don't like us, and there are going to be some people who try to attack us. And I just want to let you know that we should not be surprised by this. Because Jesus himself predicted that this sort of thing would happen. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. Jesus is having a, a dinner with his disciples the night before he's crucified. And he says to his disciples this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus said, 
If the world hates you, remember that the world hated me first. I hope you didn't sign up for the Christian faith to be the most liked person in the room. Because if you did, you're in the wrong faith. Jesus himself predicted that not everybody would like us, that some people, in fact, would hate us. And that leads to a very important question. And that question is, okay, so how do we respond, right? How do we respond? When people attack us for believing what we believe, when people call us names for trying to follow after Jesus and his ways, when people oppose us for trying to do what is right, for trying to honor God and his word, what do we do in those situations? How do we respond? Well, that's exactly the reason that I have brought you today to Proverbs chapter 25, because Solomon answers that question for us. I'm going to pick it up here in verse 21 of Proverbs chapter 25. Solomon is speaking here. The former king of Israel is said to be one of the wisest men who ever walked here on this earth. And 3,000 years ago, he said the following. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. He said, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Let me read that again, okay? He says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, here's what I want you to do, okay? A little bit of an oldie but goodie. Those of you who have been in your Belinda before, you'll, you'll remember this, but we haven't done it in a while. But on the count of three, what I want you to do is I want you to make the surprise sound. I want you to go, <gasps> like this, okay? Yes, I know some of you are just sitting at home on your couch by yourself, but that's okay. Even still, I want you to do that, okay? On the count of three, go, <gasps> ready? Don't leave me hanging here. One, two, three. Good job, friends, church. Good job. I don't know if you know this, but I could actually hear you. I could, but good job. And, and you know why I had you do that, right? Because that's how shocking Solomon's words are here. That's how radical what Solomon says is here. At least that's how radical these words are to me. You know, brothers and sisters, I, I'm not someone who has a lot of enemies. At least I don't think I do. Maybe I have some I don't know about. But I'm not someone who has a lot of enemies. But I'll tell you what I do have. I do have people who have hurt me in this life. And I do have people who have done wrong to me or done wrong to people that I love. And I know that when someone hurts me, or when someone has hurt someone that I love, I know what my immediate, unguarded, natural reaction is in those moments. And that is this. If someone hurts me, if someone hurts someone that I love, my immediate, unguarded, natural reaction is to go, you hurt me? Well, then I want to hurt you back. You say something mean about me? Well, then I want to say something mean about you. You're rude to someone that I love? Well, then I want to be rude to you. And that's sort of my immediate, unguarded, natural reaction. Now, you need to know that I never carry through with that, okay? I'm not a natural fighter. I'm not even all that good at arguing. So I never carry through with that. But here's what I do know I have a tendency to do. I know that when someone hurts me, I have a tendency not to always think the best about them after that. I know that at times I have a tendency to hold grudges. I know that at times I have a tendency to not always want the best for someone who has hurt me or someone who has hurt someone that I love. And that's what makes Solomon's words here so challenging. And that's what makes Solomon's words here so radical, especially in, which this, in this season in which we are living. In verse 21 of this passage that I just read, Solomon asks us to imagine a scenario. And the scenario is this. He wants us to, to think about a person who has harmed us in some way. He wants us to think about a person who has made life difficult for us in some way or a person who has opposed us in some way. 
And he wants us to imagine that we have come across that person and they are in a dire situation, okay? They, they are in a life or death situation. They are in some sort of need. They're hungry. They're without food, Solomon says. They're thirsty. They're without something to drink, Solomon says. And all of a sudden, someone who made life difficult for us, that person is in a difficult situation themselves. And in fact, I want you to imagine that right now. Let's bring this into the 21st century. Let's bring this into our own lives. I, I know this may be painful for some of you, but I want you to think about someone who has, who has hurt you in some way. I want you to think about someone who has made life difficult for you or difficult for someone that you love in some way. Maybe it's an old boss. Maybe it's an ex-husband, ex-wife, ex-son-in-law, ex-daughter-in-law. Maybe it's a neighbor that was really mean and, and, and made life difficult for you. But I want you to think about someone who made life difficult for you in some way. Okay, here's what I want you to imagine, okay? I want you to imagine that you're driving out of a supermarket parking lot. And I want you to imagine that you've just gone grocery shopping, and, and as you're driving out of that parking lot, about ready to turn onto the street, you, you see someone standing next to you on the sidewalk. And it's very clear this person is in sort of a tough spot. In fact, maybe they're even holding a sign that says something like, been out of work for months because of COVID hungry, just need something to eat, anything would help. And you read that sign and immediately you feel some degree of compassion towards that person. And so you look up at the face of the person who is holding that sign and when you see their face, immediately any compassion that you had, it, it just sort of starts to melt away. And the reason why is because that's the man, that's the woman. That's the person who did wrong to you. That's the person who made life difficult for you. And it's clear now that life has been turned upside down for them. And, and life is now difficult for them. And when you see that, when you realize that, what do you do? What's your reaction? Well, in many ways, these are the sorts of moments that the world lives for, right? These are the moments that movies are made of, in fact. You mean the, you mean the bad guys actually suffering? You mean the one who did wrong to me, all of a sudden they're facing difficulties themselves? I mean, the world sort of relishes these kind of moments. And I know sometimes what the natural temptation is. The natural temptation is to maybe not say out loud, but maybe say to ourselves, well, it serves you right, right? Couldn't have happened to a nicer person. And the temptation is sort of to drive out of that parking lot, maybe even with a smile on our face, thinking finally justice has been served. That's the temptation. In fact, uh, relishing in the downfall of an enemy, it's a long, long tradition, right, among people. And that's maybe some of our nat natural inclinations. That's not what Solomon tells us to do here. Instead, Solomon tells us that when we see that person, rather than roll down our window and say to them, serves you right, instead what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to serve them. We're supposed to reach into the back of our car. We're supposed to grab a bag of groceries from that trip that we just took. We're supposed to hand it to that person. And then we're supposed to say to them this, listen, if you need anything else, please let me know. Because I want to help you. That's what Solomon says here, right? If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And what Solomon says is that we are supposed to show love and grace and compassion and kindness to anyone in need, including those who made life difficult for us. I mean, this is ridiculous, isn't it? This is absolutely absurd. 
Because this is not at all how the world responds. Because basically what Solomon is telling us to do here is he is telling us to do for others what they would likely never do for us. He's telling us to treat others in a way that they would likely never treat us. This is not how the world operates. But I just want to let you know that we don't just find this in this one place in Proverbs. In fact, we find this all over the Bible. In fact, we find this in several other places in the book of Proverbs as well. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17 says this. It says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 29 says this. It says, do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. And so we find this a few other places in the book of Proverbs, and we find this in the rest of the Bible. In fact, it's Jesus who probably took this to the extreme when he said in the Sermon on the Mount this, he said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, he says, and pray for those who persecute you. And what Jesus is telling us here is he's telling us to treat our enemies, to have the same attitude towards our enemies that we would have towards our family members, that we would have towards our friends. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. But it's the way of Jesus. And it's the way the anchored people live. This past week, I was reminded of a letter that I first read to you, uh, actually almost exactly four years ago to the day. And I will probably reread it every four years for reasons that will become obvious in just a second. But this was a letter that was waiting for former President Bill Clinton on his desk in his Oval Office the day that he became president back in January of 1993. And it was a letter that was written by his predecessor. It was written by former President George H.W. Bush, the, the older Bush. And uh, if you know anything about the election between Clinton and Bush back in the early 90s, you, you may know that this was a really hard-fought election. And it was sort of a negative election. I think both men said some not very kind things about the other person. And both of them definitely had some very different visions for the United States and where they thought it should be headed. And obviously, Clinton beat Bush in that particular election. And because of that, if Bush wanted to, he could have written a very angry letter to, to, to President Clinton. Uh, he could have let Clinton have it for all the mean things he said about him during his campaign. And he could have said to Clinton something like, you know, your vision for America and your values are so different than mine, it's really hard for me to support you. And in fact, I kind of hope that you don't do very well. And indeed, there were probably some people who voted for Bush who felt that particular way about President Clinton. But that's not what Bush wrote in this letter. Instead, this is what he said. He said to President Clinton this, he said, you will be our president, and he underlined the word our. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is now our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Let me read that again. He says, you will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is now our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Isn't that incredible? But that's exactly what Solomon is talking about here. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong, okay? And more than that, I don't want you to get the Bible wrong. I am not saying, and more importantly than that, God's word is not saying that we can never disagree with other people. Of course we can disagree with other people. And the Bible, in fact, even tells us that we can tell people that we believe they're wrong, that the way they're acting, that, that, that what they're believing is wrong. But here's what we need to remember, and here's what I think a lot of people in the world are forgetting today. You see, you can disagree with someone, 
and still be kind to them. You can tell someone that they're wrong and still pray for God's blessing over them and still pray for the best for them. And in fact, that's exactly what we are called to do. Now, I can imagine the question that some of you have on your mind right now. And the question that some of you have on your mind right now is, but Chris, why? Why would we act this way, right? Why when people oppose us? Why when people oppose what we believe in our faith and they're in a sense oppose God? And why when they're angry about that? And we've all seen the, 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 the videos on the news, right? Why when they've made life difficult for us, why in the world should we respond this way? And that's, that's an excellent question. And in fact, Solomon answers that question in verse 22. In verse 22, Solomon gives us two reasons why we should respond this way. Let's deal with the second reason first. End of verse 22, Solomon says this. He says, and the Lord will reward you. He says, and the Lord will reward you. Solomon says, if we act this way, God is going to reward us. And honestly, that's reason enough, right? As as people who follow after God and God alone, as people who seek God's approval and his alone, if we act this way, God is going to reward us. And that's sort of reason enough. But that's not the only reason that Solomon gives here. He gives another reason as well. And you see it in the first part of verse 22 when Solomon writes this. He says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. He says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on your enemy's head. Now, that's a really weird image, right? So what exactly is Solomon talking about that there? Well, Solomon is likely drawing upon a, a practice that some people in this time participated in. You see, in this time, some people would do the following. When, when they had messed up, when they realized that they had made a mistake, what they do is they take a bowl, maybe not unlike this bowl right here, and they'd actually put this bowl on their head. And then what they do is they'd fill this bowl with burning hot coals. And then once they had done that, they would walk around their city or they'd walk around their town with this bowl on their head. And it was meant to be a symbol of repentance. It was meant to be a sign to the people that says, hey, I messed up. I know I messed up. I was wrong. I know I was wrong. And I want you to know that. And that's likely what Solomon is drawing upon here. And by using this image here, what Solomon is talking about is something that probably all of us have seen before. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. What Solomon is talking about here is he's talking about the power of kindness. He's talking about the power of kindness to soften even the hardest of hearts. You know, when we are mean to those who are mean to us, brothers and sisters, when we insult those who insult us, what does that get us? What does that accomplish Well, we all know the answer to that. It gets us nothing. It accomplishes nothing. That's exactly how the world expects us to respond. And may I say it, that's exactly how the enemy wants us to respond. Make no mistake about who is behind all the anger and hostility we are seeing right now. It is our our number one enemy. It is Satan. And he is using this season, among other things, to help destroy our witness as Christians and make us look like fools. And when we respond hate for hate and anger with anger, that's exactly what happens because we look just like the rest of the world. But when we respond differently, when we meet hate and anger with love and kindness and grace and mercy and compassion, something different can happen. All of a sudden, people can begin to look at us in a completely different light because it's so uncommon. It's so unexpected. And people can look at us and they can say, hey, maybe I was wrong about you. And maybe I was wrong about you Christians. And sometimes, sometimes when we respond that way, it can actually lead someone to repentance. It can lead someone to faith in Jesus. 
That's exactly what happened in this incredible story I came across this past week. True story. A couple, a few years ago, they lost their only child, their only son, in a drunk driving accident. He wasn't drunk, but another driver was. And obviously, when these parents lost their only child in this accident, obviously, there were just a whole variety of emotions that they felt. And one of the emotions that they felt was just anger and rage towards this drunk driver. He survived, but their, their son didn't. And this couple, they admitted that they wanted to see this drunk driver prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. They wanted to see him suffer for what he had done. But then something happened. This couple, they were Christians. And in what can only be described as a work of the Holy Spirit, their hearts began to soften towards this man. And one day they did the unthinkable. They invited him over to their house for dinner. And they did it not to attack him, They did it to show compassion to him, to kindness to him. They literally gave food to their enemy. And pretty soon, this actually became a regular occurrence. And this couple developed such a relationship with the drunk driver who killed their son that they sort of became surrogate parents to him. They kind of adopted him as their own son. And and, and this man gave his life to Jesus. He, He gave his life to Christ as a result of that. I mean, it's an incredible story, right? But that is the power of a Holy Spirit-inspired kindness. And that is actually the very heart of what God has done for us, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 10, Paul puts it this way. He says, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And I want you to pay attention to that second phrase there. For if, while we were God's enemies. I don't know if you know this, brothers and sisters, but before we put our faith in Jesus, we were not friends of God. We were enemies of God. We were God's enemies. And yet, even though we were God's enemies, what did God do for us? He gave us more than just food and water. He gave us his son. He sent his son to die for us on the cross. You see, God is not asking us to do anything that he did not do himself. And since God has shown us such grace and kindness and mercy, we are called to show that to others as well. And never has that call been greater than in this season in which we're in right now. And that's what leads me back to what I talked about at the beginning. I think there are two ways that we can look at all that is going on around us right now. One way is to have the perspective of the first shoe salesman and to look at all that is going on around us, to look at the news and to shake our head and to say, what is this world coming to? No one believes what we believe anymore. No one thinks what we think anymore. The situation is hopeless. And so let's just sort of hunker down. Let's just keep to ourselves and let's just wait until Jesus returns. And that is definitely one reaction that we can have to all of this. But I think there's another reaction that we can have as well. And that's to take the perspective of that second shoe salesman. And that's to look at all that is going on around us right now and see the incredible opportunity that is available to us. Never before in my lifetime, brothers and sisters, has it been more obvious who is a Christian and who is not. Never before in my lifetime has it been more obvious who is trying to conform their lives to the words of this book and who isn't. And that provides an opportunity. That provides us an opportunity to shine like stars in this dark world. And it provides us an opportunity to show people the Jesus that we follow, the God that we love, and the Holy Spirit who's transformed us from the inside out. And the best way to do that is to treat others in a way that they would probably never treat us. To show grace and kindness and love and compassion 
to everybody, including those who are opposed to us, including those who have made life difficult for us. And so I ask you very simply, who do you need to have a heart of kindness towards this week? Who do you need to give food to this week? Who do you need to give water to this week? Who do you need to pray for this week? Who do you need to treat in a way that they would probably never treat you? That's how we show people Jesus. That's how Jesus lives through us today. And that, I believe, is the greatest testimony that we have. And that's what leads us to our close here today. Many of you know this, but our worship team, they released a new album. And on this album, there's a great song that's called My Testimony. And there's a line that I love in this song. It says, grace rewrote my story. Grace rewrote my story, and that's what we believe. We believe that grace has rewritten our story because of Jesus Christ. And since grace has rewritten our story, we get to show grace to other people. And so our worship team is going to close with this particular song. But before we do that, I'd love just to pray over all of us. So would you do me a favor right now and bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. So Father God, we come to you today with a topic that um, is not easy. But Father, I do believe it's at the very heart of who you are and what you do for us. And so God, I pray right now, Father, that you would work on our heart, Lord. We cannot do this on your own. It can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, would we have a heart of compassion and need towards everybody, not just those who, who are doing good things in this world like we saw in that video with the His House story, but God, even those who are opposed to us. God, it's not for us to discern who needs help and who doesn't, God. We just, we just show kindness to everybody and we let you take it from there, Lord. And so God, I pray that you give us hearts of compassion towards those around us, whether it be in our immediate vicinity, God, or even hearts of compassion towards the people we see on the news and the people we come across, Father, on just a daily basis who in some ways are opposed to who we are and what we believe, Father. And I pray through that Holy Spirit-inspired kindness, God, we would see exactly what Solomon talks about. We would see a change in people's hearts, Father, and you would use us to bring other people to faith in you. Uh, God, you have given us a great story. You have given us a great testimony. It's the grace that you've showed us. And so, Father, I just pray that we would always be people of grace towards others. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.